Thank you for joining us for the Rising Strong Message series at Journey Church in Bozeman, Montana. In this series, we're exploring how God's grace meets shame and vulnerability in our lives. Let's tune in. There's no greater threat to the critics and cynics and fear mongers than those of us who are willing to fall because we have learned how to rise. With skin knees and bruised hearts, we choose owning our stories of struggle over hiding, over hustling, over pretending. When we deny our stories, they define us. When we run from struggle, we are never free. So we turn towards truth and look it in the eye. We craft love from heartbreak, compassion from shame, grace from disappointment, courage from failure. Showing up is our power. Story is our way home. Truth is our song. We are the brave and brokenhearted. We are rising strong. Hi everyone. How y'all doing today? Really good to see you. Really good to be with all of you. We're in week four of that series called Rising Strong, working through Brene Brown's book by that very same title. And I want to tell you up front, there's enough stuff that I'm not going to be able to get to in the time that we have together today. There's just a level of detail to this piece that I won't be able to treat it as well as I'd like to treat it just simply uh, because of time. So you going and getting the book is a great option if you want to do a deeper dive into this than we can do together here in this setting. I want to start by uh, setting this all up just a bit. Uh, Rising strong out of our falls rising strong out of our mistakes, rising strong out of our pain, all begins, it all rises and falls with our willingness to be vulnerable. Being willing to show up and be seen, fully seen, on full display, with no, absolutely no guarantee of outcome whatsoever. And from that place of vulnerability, then we walk into our story. We recognize that there's emotional hooks around our story, Uh, We get curious about the feelings that are behind those, what those feelings are, where they're coming from. And then we press into the emotion of those moments in order to determine how those emotions are connected to the way that we think, the way that we act, and all of that. That's the reckoning that we talked about last week. So those two things set up today. That's review. And then the new ground that we're going to plow into together today is what Brene Brown calls the rumble. It's all about the rumble. I'm going to give you the ending right here at the beginning because I don't want you to miss it. Because the rumble is all about you and I getting honest about the stories that we're making up about our struggles and then pushing back against the stories that we're making up, the confabulations, the assumptions, and asking and inviting the Lord to help us determine what's truth. Asking the Lord to help us determine what's self-protection Asking the Lord to help us determine what must change here with me in order for us to live more wholehearted, full-hearted lives. Margaret Atwood puts it like this. When you're in the middle of a story, it isn't a story at all, but rather only a confusion, a dark roaring, a blindness, a wreckage of shattered glass and splintered wood, like a house in a whirlwind or else a boat crushed by the icebergs or swept over the rapids, all aboard, powerless to stop it. It's only afterwards that it becomes anything like a story at all. 
when you're telling it to yourself or to someone else. And so you see this rumbling with our story is when and where we have the privilege, the opportunity to own our story. The story, the story becomes your story. And the rumbling all begins when we become aware that the story that we're telling ourselves about our hurt, our anger, our frustration, or our pain isn't really the whole story. Because you see, when we get knocked down, when something strikes us in such a way that it causes us to flail about out on the floor of the arena, the second that that happens, our brain goes to work to try to make sense of everything that's happening in that moment. The story, see, that begins to emerge then is driven primarily by emotion and driven by the need for us to protect ourselves. We don't want that to happen again, that hurt emotionally. I don't want that to happen again. Therefore, that story isn't all that accurate. The story that we make up in those moments, it isn't all that well thought through. The story that we make up in those moments, well, it's not even all that civil much of the time. And this rumbling process is about wading into the story that we're making up about the thing that just happened to us. And here's how it goes. I know this because I've lived this way more than one time. In the absence of verifiable data, we'll always make up parts and pieces of the story that we don't have any knowledge of. It's how we're physiologically wired up. It's actually part of our most primitive survival wiring. God hardwired this stuff into us. Biologically, we're wired up to create and find meaning all the time. We're creators and finders of meaning all of the time. That means our default position then is to be coming up with stories that always make the most sense, feel the most familiar, offer us the very best instruction for how we need to self-protect so that this never ever happens again. But when we rumble, see, we're choosing to get vulnerable. When we rumble, we're choosing to embrace uncertainty and we rumble toward the truth, which by the way, takes heaping doses of bravery. So when we connect the dots to something, when the light bulb comes on, when we have the aha, I finally get it kind of moment, our brains reward us chemically with a blast of a chemical called dopamine. You all know what I'm talking about. It's a chemical rush to our bodies, to our brains. Neurologists have been studying dopamine for years and years. And they tell us that the dopamine wash happens every time we recognize and complete any pattern whatsoever in our lives. Our brains reward us chemically any time we clear up any little bit of ambiguity, whether the clearing up is accurate or not. Accuracy doesn't matter. Certainty is what matters. We get certain about something, whether it's accurate or not, and all of a sudden, we feel better. That's the chemical called dopamine. Now, that dopamine blast over time, begins to seduce our brains into skipping over anything that requires any bit of vulnerability any bit of curiosity, any bit of uncertainty, which, by the way, are the keys to getting to the truth of the thing that actually happened in that moment. And I'm telling you, we've all done this. We've all done this. We find ourselves face down in the mud and blood of the arena. We're almost always going to start with a half story that's defined by very limited data points. Have you done this? I'm going to give you some examples just to sort of bait you in and see if you've done this. Let's say your spouse or your significant other unintentionally, accidentally hurts you. 
That person who you love very much causes you pain somehow. And the story that you make up like that fast about that other person, right? Is that they're a total jerk. They've somehow tricked you into believing that they're kind and loving for however many years you've been together. And the real truth, this is the real truth, real truth that you get to is that he or she hates you because you're needy and clingy and you don't work out enough. (laughs) Now maybe that doesn't describe perfectly the story that you make up, but maybe it's some derivative of that. How many of you play the blame game? How many of you love to blame? Oh, seriously, I'm the only one? Yeah, there's like seven of us in the room. The rest of you, you're just lily white. I play the blame game all the time. I love to blame and I hate to blame. But how many times do I, when things go wrong, when I feel exposed, when I feel vulnerable, when I get to a spot of uncertainty, I demand to know whose fault it is. You get there? Ever been there? Whose fault? Who did this? And in the absence of my ability to know whose fault it is, often we'll just pick someone at random to lay the blame on. It must have been them because I want a blast of dopamine. I want to finish the story. I want to know whether it's right or not. I want to be certain now. What do you call a story that's based on limited real data, imagined data, and then blended into a coherent, emotionally satisfying version of reality? What do you call that? A conspiracy theory. A conspiracy theory. And social scientists tell us all the time that ordinary, mentally healthy people are strikingly prone to confabulation in everyday situations. In the absence of real, verifiable data, we'll just make some up to satisfy our need to have all of the blanks filled in. They're lies honestly told, according to one person. Now check this out. In one study, a team of psychologists asked shoppers to choose one pair of socks from among seven pairs of socks and then give their reasons for why they chose that particular pair of socks. To a person, every single shopper explained their choice of socks based on subtle differences in color, texture, stitching. Not a single one of the shoppers said, I have no idea why I chose that pair. I don't know why that one is my choice. All of the shoppers had a story that explained their decision. You want to know the kicker? All of the socks were exactly the same. They were identical And all of the shoppers made up a story that made their decision seem very rational, but they were not rational. They confabulated. They made stuff up. And we very often, human beings, all of us, get to the place sometimes in our lives of confabulating in our face down in the arena moments as a result, not of a desire to lie, but because of how our emotion and how our behavior and how our thinking all interconnect one with another. And those confabulations can be really deeply damaging, both to ourselves as well as to other people in our lives if they're carried out long enough, especially because the most dangerous stories we make up, get this, are the narratives that diminish our inherent worth. The stories that we make up about ourselves that diminish our inherent worthiness. For example, how many of us have gone through a painful breakup, perhaps a divorce, maybe some of us have been cheated on by a partner, 
We experience maybe a distant relationship with a parent or family member. And how many of us respond to the pain of that experience with a story about how unlovable we are because of that story, because of what happened. And we make up a story about how unlovable I must be because of what happened to me. How many of us make up stories that question whether or not we're even worthy of being loved? Just a couple of days ago, my wife Dana sent me a photo. A photo of a 10-year-old girl with an accompanying story. A girl from the Congo who'd been adopted by a family here in the United States several years ago. And that adoption with that little girl got real hard with the family that had adopted her. And we all know difficult stuff happens in families, right? Difficult stuff can happen with adopted kids. Difficult stuff can happen with biological kids, right? We can just be tough. I'm a kid, so I know. We can be tough sometimes. Parenting is never easy. Whether you adopt your kids or whether you homemake your kids, it can all be quite difficult. So now there's this adoption agency is trying to find a new family to adopt that little girl because the family that originally adopted her said, we, we got to break this adoption. It's just too hard. We've gotta, it's called disrupting the adoption. It's the technical term for it. And I sat in my office and I stared at this picture of this little girl and I read the accompanying story and I, I just said, I cannot even begin to imagine the conspiracy theories that that little girl at 10 years old is making up about herself about whether or not she's worthy of being loved. I can barely fathom the depth of pain that she's feeling right now, how low her sense of lovability is. She lost a biological family for whatever reason. She lost her mom and her dad who birthed her. There's one rejection. And there's no judgment here, no judgment here at all. And then now there's a family that it's just way too hard and she's losing them as well. And I, I just can barely fathom how that must feel for that little girl. And it doesn't matter whether it's that little girl or whether it's you. What's true according to Jesus Christ is that just because someone isn't willing or able to love you doesn't in any way mean that you are unlovable. In no way whatsoever is that what it means. And how many people, maybe even some of us here today, have woven those hidden, false, confabulated stories into our lives to the point that they've eventually distorted who we are and how we relate to other people. It's almost like we have an alter ego. That's not really who I am, but because of this long history of telling these confabulations about myself, it's who I've become and it's not really me. But when that's our default, we'll just keep forever and ever tripping over the same issues. We'll stay face down in the mud every time we fall. We'll have different versions of the same issues in all of our relationships. The same story plays again and again and again on repeat. But folks, in order for us to rise strong, it requires of us that we become aware of the traps in the first confabulated story that we tell ourselves. We cannot get stuck or hung up in those stories. We must practice becoming aware of the conspiracy theories, the confabulations, the story that we're making up. We must. 
And one way we rise strong out of those conspiracy theories, those confabulations that we tell ourselves is by using this phrase, I put it on your notes page for you, in the story I'm making up right now, dot, dot, dot. In the story I'm making up right now, and I'm actually, the challenge today is for you to go and put pen to paper, whether it's over the course of three minutes or whether it's over the course of three hours, doesn't matter how long this takes you, even briefly just putting the story down on paper as you see it in the moment. And you start with that line, in the story I'm making up right now. And we're going to practice doing this together. We've been doing this all along through this series. I want this to be very approachable for you when you go do this on your own. And we're going to start with the story of Joseph, Jesus' dad. And I know for a fact that there was one day, at least one day in Joseph's life, when for sure and for certain, he would have felt face down in the arena, covered in blood, covered in sweat, covered in tears. And we pick up the story in Matthew chapter one, starting in verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. Here we go. This is a big moment, right? His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh my goodness. Right? That's an oh my goodness moment right there. And Joseph, her fiance, was a good man, did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. And what I'm going to invite you to do is set yourself into Joseph's shoes in this moment. As this story is unfolding, I want you to pretend that you're Joseph and this has just happened. And can you even imagine? Can you even begin to imagine everything that he's feeling? Can you even begin to imagine the story that he's making up in that moment? And we talk about putting pen to paper when we put down our story as we're experiencing it in that moment. What we're really talking about is writing out what Brene Brown calls your SFD. I put that on your notes page too. Your SFD. You know what that stands for? Your stormy first draft. Your stormy first draft. Now, Brene in the book uses another more colorful word. Instead of the word stormy, also starts with an S. Your call, what you do with that. But whatever you call it, you're going to write out, you're going to put down on paper the story that you're making up. And it can be bullet points. It can be a paragraph in a journal. It doesn't matter. You're just getting it down. You're putting it on paper. And so you're starting first with the E, right? I put these on your notes page for you. You don't have to remember all this. You're starting with the E. Can you set yourself into Joseph's shoes for a moment? And can you just blurt it out, the emotion that he's experiencing in that moment? He finds out, right? Here he is. Let me, let me take you back for just a second. Here he is. Uh, he is a young man seeking to honor God, seeking to honor his family, seeking to honor his fiance. They're behaving themselves. They're keeping all of their clothes on through their dating, engaged relationship, behaving themselves. And all of a sudden, one day, Mary turns up and she says, hey, guess what, honey? I'm pregnant. And the Holy Spirit did it. What's the emotion of that moment? Yeah, betrayal. Someone said something over here. Disbelief, yeah, disbelief, yeah. That's exactly right. Rejection, that's exactly right. What was it? Shock, yeah, no kidding. 
One, one guy at the nine o'clock, he, he, like, he was sitting right over here and he goes, ah, that's the emotion, <laughs> right? I was waiting for someone to do it, but you didn't, right? Those are just some, good job. Those are some of the emotions of the moment. Brene challenges to press into the, the B, which is about our body. I, I can't explain everything about that, but I, I think for Joseph, if he's exploring his body in this moment, he'd go, wasn't me, right? I didn't do that. The next one is, what, what's he thinking? The T, what's he thinking in that moment? What's he thinking about Mary? You are a, right, cheater. He'd have the big A word. You're an adulterer. You're a liar, right? Of course he's thinking all of those things. What's he believing? Now we go to another B. What's he believing about himself in those moments? This is just an SFD, just whatever comes to you. SFD, just stormy first draft. Doesn't have to be right. Come on. I'm not good. Yeah. Yep. Mailman is, but I'm not, right? What's that? Failure. Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm, I am a giant failure. Bad choice. Yeah. You mean he chose unwisely. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then he's also, he's contemplating some actions, isn't he? What's the first action he's contemplating? Yeah, it's not divorce. I, I know it feels right. What, what was that? Call my attorney. Yeah, call my attorney. That's exactly right. Even before that, though, strangulation is first. I think it's strangulation first. He's considering strangulation. Now, you see, this isn't polished. This isn't polished at all. We didn't filter anything there. You don't worry about how anybody yourself appears in that story, which is why it's better to write the story down instead of tell it to someone. You're just wading out into the murky water of everything you're thinking, everything you're feeling, and you get to be mad, and you get to be self-righteous, and you get to blame. You get to express all of your confusion. You don't edit, and you don't even try to get this right all the way. Now, don't misunderstand me here. Your SFD is not about you being mean, you being abusive, you being hurtful. It's not about you venting. Even This is not venting. This is way different from venting. Not like that at all. I say if you're standing across from someone and saying, in the story I'm making up right now, you're a blankety blank, 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 and everyone who works for you thinks you're a blankety blank, but you're not even in the right game here. That's not what the SFD is all about. This is you putting to paper the story you're telling yourself about your fall, your face down in the arena moment. It's vulnerable, it's personal, you're embracing curiosity, awareness, growth. It's a tool for inquiry and intention. This is not a weapon that you're constructing here. This is not a weapon. And folks, can you imagine what a powerful tool that this can be? Like imagine yourself on your job, in your work, and you're sitting in a meeting where you pull this tool out and you employ it. Maybe there's a tense moment in the room. Maybe you feel yourself shutting down. And you just say, in the story I'm making up right now, you guys all think that I'm, you know, and you just put that out there. Imagine how powerful that would be. In any relationship conversation in your whole life, you use those words. In the story I'm making up right now, and you just put it out there. 
One of my favorite ways to think about this is in parenting conversations. And the story I'm making, what if our kids could learn to say that to us, their parents, or maybe some of us need to learn how to say it to our parents. How powerful would that be? Mom, dad, in the story I'm making up right now, I just think about how much that would help us as we lead and parent and disciple our kids in the way of Jesus Christ. For them to be able to put words to how they're feeling about their own emotional reality, the stories that they're telling themselves because of the things that we do and the things that we say, our role in all of that. Imagine the power of that in your home. And this thing's so powerful because getting clear about our first stories changes everything, I think. About how we lead, about how we live, about how we parent, all of it. And the thing you've got to know is that once you've formulated your SFD, the first thing you've got to know is that there is a gap, a very large gap between your SFD here, stormy first draft here, and reality right over here. There is quite a gap. And we put this on your notes page for you. It's a delta, actually. The fourth letter in the Greek alphabet, it's the mathematical symbol for a difference. A capital delta is a triangle. And the delta, the difference between the story we make up about our experience and the truth that we discover through the process of rumbling is where and when Jesus Christ breaks in and teaches us and shows us and heals us and helps us stand back to our feet again, rising strong. And there's three sides of that delta and their emotion and their thought and their behavior. Because when you really get to rumbling with Jesus and he shows up and he does heart surgery and he's working to reveal the truth of everything that just happened, he affects all those things. The way we feel, what we think, how we act, he affects our entire being. And the Lord uses some questions. There's some rumbling questions that we put on your notes page for you. Meaning that the conspiracy theories that we tell ourselves, the stories that we make up about ourselves, they get finished accurately via the answers to these questions that the Lord shows up in. What more, for example, do I need to learn and understand about this situation? Or we actually start to get curious and go, well, what do I really know objectively? There's plenty of subjective stuff here, but objectively, what do I know? What are the assumptions that I'm making in my SFD? Number two, what more do I need to learn and understand about the other people in this story? What additional information do I need that might be more than this? What questions of clarification might help? Think about Joseph. And then the third one, this gets, this gets real vulnerable, real personal, real fast. What more do I need to learn and understand about myself? Ugh. What's underneath my response? What am I feeling? Ah, here we go. Check this out. What part did I play? What part did I play? And you know, as only God could, he broke into the story that Joseph was making up about everything that was going on with his fiancee, Mary. And God revealed the delta between the story that he was making up and what was actually going on. And I don't know if this rumbling thing was on Joseph's radar, but he got rumbled, I can say for sure. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 20. As he considered this, right, he's contemplating divorce when we left off. Strangulation too. 
And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Here we go. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. First thing God goes to work on is don't be afraid. The angel addresses one of the primary emotions Joseph would have been feeling about that whole situation. You know, one of the things that Joseph, this is an aside, but one of the things Joseph would have been afraid of was that his fiance, who he loved, by the way, that she would have died. You know why? Because adulterers in ancient Israel were stoned. And so he would have been incredibly fearful. That's one of the reasons he said, oh, I'm just going to divorce her quietly as not to arouse a, a big deal. I don't want her to die. He's trying to keep her alive. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph's like, oh, okay. Wasn't the male man. And she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary as his wife. He did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. The delta gets revealed, doesn't it? The story gets completed. There's more to it than the SFD. And it's true with Joseph's story and it's true with our story. That's why rumbling is so important. Because we all have our conspiracy theories about our falls. We all have our go-to emotions. The emotion we default to in our moments of pain. And the thing about the delta is that that's where rivers meet seas, isn't it? Deltas are places where rivers meet seas and deltas are marshy and they're full of sediment and they are forever changing. And you know what else a delta is? They're areas of rich, fertile growth. Moments in and where Jesus shows up and does only what he can do, which is to transform our face down in the dirt, in the mud, in the blood moments into his moments of greatest redemption. That's Jesus Christ. That's our Savior. That's who he is. And that's what he does. And it's what he longs to do in every single one of us. We just got to let him. We just got to let him. Invite him in and let him. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would. To close our time together today, we're going to practice rumbling. uh, Not with Joseph's story anymore. We're going to get real vulnerable and we're going to rumble with our own story. Because see, I don't have any doubt that every one of us has a story that we're making up about ourselves today, right now, even. And it may be the story that's a result of something painful or something difficult that happened yesterday. Maybe even something painful or difficult that happened today, uh, even this morning. Or maybe it's a story that's the result of something that happened years ago, months ago, perhaps. But we all have stories that we're making up about ourselves. And here's what we're going to do is invite the Lord into the stories that we're making up about ourselves by offering them up to him via the power of technology. So the band's going to sing this song over us. They're going to sing this song over us. And while they are, 
we're gonna offer up to God a bit of the story that we're making up about ourselves by texting them. Pull out your phone, if you would, and that's not a joke. Pull out your phone, if you would. And we're gonna text a bit of the story that we're making up about ourselves to that number right there. And the way I'm asking us to think about this is to just finish that sentence. And the story I'm making up right now, and then just text in a couple of words, a couple of words. Walls of text are difficult for this exercise. Just a couple of words. I'm unlovable. And the story I'm making up right now, I'm stupid. And the story I'm making up right now, I'm unworthy. And the story I'm making up right now, I'm fill in the blank. Just a couple of words. Your act of inviting the Lord into the rumble. That's what you're doing here. You're inviting the Lord into the rumble. You're inviting him to reveal the delta that exists, the difference that exists between reality and the story that you're making up about yourself, your fall, your difficulty. And so whenever you're ready, no one, by the way, this is completely anonymous. Nobody knows who's texting what unless you tell them just a couple of words. And those words, by the way, they're going to hit that big old screen behind me. And the band's going to sing this song over us and here we go. Let's rumble.
God, we just say how incredibly sorry that we are. That the stories that we're making up about ourselves, people who are beautifully created in your image, set loose on planet earth to bring your redemption and your life and your hope. We're just so sorry that the stuff that scrolled on that screens are the stories that we're telling ourselves about us. We're so sorry. We're so sorry that we've gotten to the place where that's the tape that plays on repeat in all of us. God, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to us and how much more heartbreaking must it be to you? And so we together today, as a community and individually, we drive a stake in the ground, God, and we say we're not gonna make those stories like that up anymore by the grace of God. With the help of God. We might let it go for five minutes or maybe sometimes five days, but God, we're gonna invite you into this rumble. And we're gonna beg and plead, God, that the delta between the story that we're making up about ourselves and the truth would be short. Don't let us linger long in these stories that are lies, in the stories that we make up, the confabulations. That God, that you would show up in all of our lives and your truth would be crystal clear. Maybe not on day one, okay. But along the way, God, that you would break in and that the truth of what's really in view and the truth of what's really going on would be fully known, revealed. And God, we need you. We need you to do that. We can't. Lots and lots of us we've seen have been trying and it's not working. And so we give ourselves over to you, our good, good father. The one who loves us indefinitely. The one who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to show us the way that life is meant to be lived. And it's not in the land of made-up stories about ourselves. It's in the truth, God, of who you made us to be. Get us there, please, Jesus. We love you. We adore you. We worship you, King Jesus. It's in your name we pray this. And everyone agreed together and said, Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.